0: This is Annie Stevens gleason Minister for Worship and Incorporation here at Church of the Redeemer. This is the fifth and final follow-up conversation in our Forum Lenten series, focusing on the work of becoming beloved community, the Episcopal Church's journey and commitments to respond to racial injustice and grow a community of reconcilers, justice makers, and healers. We have Megan Hughes Johnson, chair of our Becoming Beloved Community Steering Committee and the Reverend Philip Deval, rector here at Redeemer to take a look back at this past Sunday's forum and to look forward to the ongoing conversations we will have here on this podcast. Welcome to both Megan and Phil. Glad to have you both. Yeah, um, to so, be here. Yeah,
1: always good to be here. <laughs>
0: Um, so let's take a look back at this past Sunday. We had Jim Mulholland with us for our session. It was our last session as um, a forum series. So let's take a look at that. Great. Yeah, I, I I was really glad Jim could join us.
2: I had met him back in the fall at a conference in um, <clears throat> at Otterbein University and was really just struck by his presence and his teaching um, and was really happy to to bring him here. Phil, what would you think?
1: I mean, I thought he was great. I thought it was exactly the kind of... My take is that he spoke to our congregation with an understanding, really, of where we are. Mm-hmm. And for a person who'd never been here before and hadn't met us, might have, might have spoken with you a little bit about the church but and done a little bit of research, but for someone who hadn't been with us, he, he spoke to us, I thought, in a place where most of us were and in a place that was... Um, the thing that I keep coming back to from when I mentioned a couple weeks ago on this podcast we were talking about some of the work Jamar Tisby was doing is that somehow the capacity in this work to be both gentle and convicting, mm-hmm. to not beat people up or shame them, but also and in fact to make them feel cared for and, and, and comforted on some level, and, while doing that, say, and here's some things we all do wrong, and here's some things that we actually need to work on, or here's some things that are just true about you. And and here we are saying it, and and it wasn't, I just, that's exactly, I, I think, exactly how this church is going to be able to move forward in the work of racial reconciliation. So, from that end, I was super psyched. You know, um, I, was, I was impressed by people's response to him, but I was really impressed by his presence and by what seemed to be a really strong, innate understanding of the people in the room. So,
0: yeah. 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 yeah it was so much of like meeting people where they are, right? Yes. Um, and and it's, that is so, I don't know, it's so not, not the norm and to, it, it, it kind of holds it, it cradles it in, in, in your hands as far as having a conversation or, yeah. or what it looks like for the people.
1: It is amazing how we are all, all of us in theory find the idea of meeting people where they are fascinating or, or ideal, like it's an ideal, like, like well, of course. And then when the time comes for things to be difficult, we're so amazed when it actually happens. Right. Like, right. That's like grace. I mean, great. Whenever, like, we live in a world that is powered by grace, and then when, but when we see grace, we're like, oh my gosh, can you believe someone was just filled with grace and treated me with that grace it's it never ceases to surprise
0: right right um Megan why don't you could you t- tell a little bit of what what stood out to you and what what we want to share from this past Sunday yeah i in addition
2: to what we we already said i think jim did a great job of sharing anecdotes from his own personal life that led him to the place where he is now of um, championing justice work and encouraging others to to become anti-racist um and so two stories that stick out to me his his journey began when through marriage he became the father of his black daughter ella and he spoke about um, little things that he started to notice and he had three daughters has three daughters from his previous marriage and so he began by saying you know i thought this would be a piece of cake i'd been a, a, a father to a daughter before um I, I was ready for this and then he realized little things like when they would take walks through their neighborhood and ella would be on her scooter a couple blocks ahead of he and his white wife and therefore out from under the umbrella of their whiteness that neighbors would look at her um, they wouldn't say hello they would sort of stare at her and then as soon as they could connect the dots to saying, oh, wait, I know who she is, I see her white parents down the road a bit, then all of a sudden it was, oh, hello, oh, hi, and, mm. and you know, coming out and sort of affirming and, and cordial and friendly. Um, and he didn't say that as, uh, he, he wasn't condemning those neighbors, he was pointing out the assumptions we make um, around skin color. And he spoke also of people coming up and touching her hair repeatedly without asking permission and how that could just be curiosity, but it's more than that. And he linked it back directly to this idea, not idea, this fact that um, for more centuries, more years than it hasn't been the truth, uh, the truth is that um, black people were owned by white people. And that that legacy Mm. then leads to this feeling of ownership or superiority um and and again i I think he he painted this picture not in a um and therefore you know you all are bad people it was a this is the way the world is right now therefore what do we want to do about that how can we make a difference and change and change those structures
1: he also that story he told was um towards the end and it's like he started really early on in, in that. Like he started in his story by, by, by connecting himself to you know us by talking about how he was raised in his understanding of what racism was, how his parents told him never to be racist, don't say the, the N word is off limits, et cetera. And so, by, and, and, and so of course this to me was the, the right way to be and then I wasn't a racist and he was able to, he wasn't shaming other people saying this is my experience growing up. And, and, and so right then you have most of the people in the room going, oh yeah, that was my experience growing. That was unquestionably yeah. my experience growing yes. right. and, up. Um, and so doing that and then saying like, and here's the thing, that's, that's great actually. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just also that we live in a world where something else has been going on and where we have been conditioned and acknowledging our own conditioning and then pointing out places where you just can't deny that it's happening. Yes. Not making it about, I mean, we can, you can then go deeper after that and start to have conversations about the political and economic ramifications of these things and and what do we do to to reconcile, to participate in reconciliation. But to do that sort of groundwork of just like, hey, remember how we were all raised in this way? And do you remember what it looks like when we start to move away from that? Um, he did refer to himself as woke once and i was like let's never self refer as woke but that's just my personal <laughs> preference but he but the idea of waking up to something yes. mm-hmm. of like of of opening your eyes in a different way is so important yes. right and the idea of waking up is also important because when do you wake up you wake up on a new day mm. so it's like it's not just opening your eyes to what's already been there it's like it's it's it represents that like there's something new on the horizon for you when you wake up in that way yep. and i think that's true for him I hope and pray that's true for us. Yep. So I really liked that.
2: Yep. In the Becoming Beloved Community journey that the diocese has been organizing, we use the term unlearning as a category mm-hmm. for where we are right now uh, in this process. And I think he did a masterful job of showing his journey of unlearning yeah. what he had been taught. And I think people really, as you're saying, resonated with that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Was there anything else that from this past Sunday we'd like to share?
1: I have been consistently impressed over the last few weeks with the responses in terms of during our presentations, the, the questions that are asked. And then after the presentations, the questions that continue to be asked. I'd, I just, I just love, I love these people so, I love Redeemer so much but they keep reminding me why. Like sometimes you love somebody and then like you have to remind yourself, you know, oh <laughs> uh, gosh, I, no, no, I love them, I love them, I love them. <laughs> Here, it's like every Sunday we do this hard work and then people remind us just day in and time in and time again, like here's why, here's why we're, we love each other because we, like, we've look what we're about. So I feel, I have felt that extremely throughout this process mm. so far. And I, mean, I know we're just at the beginning, but I have felt that extremely.
0: Yeah, every Sunday I walk away with, such gratitude that there's a space that people can ask questions. Mm. Yes. That there that we can hold the space for these questions to be asked. Yeah. And for them to be comfortable to ask those questions. Mm. Mm. I mean that's yep. changes the whole the whole thing. It changes the whole thing.
2: You're reminding me of a, a particular moment. Um so Dorothy asked uh She framed her question after Jim had been talking about people coming up, white people, and touching Ella's hair, his daughter. And she then went on to share a story of when she had been in Japan, I believe, um, and was in the minority, and the women around her all wanted to touch her hair and braid her hair and thought of her hair as this wonderful thing they wanted to get to know more about. And so she shared that experience and then said, see, isn't it fine when we have this exchange based on interest or curiosity? And and Jim very gently but forcefully then said, the difference there is that they asked you if they could braid your hair. No one was asking either Ella or me as her parents. Right. And Dorothy responded really, um, you know, I think graciously also and said, oh, thank you for listening to my story. Right, right. Um, So that whole exchange I think pointed out both the, we have a lot of learning and unlearning as a community to do the space that we're beginning to do that in is this adult forum space that we created and that Dorothy felt comfortable asking that question and then also sort of receiving that response.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I think the thing that touched me most with that is The context of america is Mm. that 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 is our framework for every interaction that we have Mm. um and and that just kind of like turned on that light bulb for me Mm. as far as oh right i mean i know but oh Mm. that that's everything every single thing looking through the lens of well we're in america and what what has happened here as in context to what what I'm doing now
2: so. right so yes this history of slavery of industrial yeah. slavery that yeah. you don't have the equivalent in Japan in right. that example right I have
1: grown up being able to pick and choose which parts of my culture I want to say as mine and which I don't so if this is American I can say oh yeah that's American like that's what we're all about and then, when something happens that I that I don't like, I can say, "Well, that's not that's not part of it, or or that's not how I feel." Uh, so I get to claim the heritage that is um, that 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 is beneficial or that is um, uplifting, inspiring, and then and then reject any of the her- my own heritage um, be- because of a com- combination of things, a uh, white supremacy being one of them, obviously and also this sense of individualism mm-hmm. with which we've all been raised, which is that you are your own person. So really it's just about if you've been good or bad. And by the way, in terms, let's talk about that in terms of just for a second about Christianity. Most of us were raised with a sense of Christianity that it's all about, all about what you believe and you do so that it can be about where you go when you die. Yes. It's not, and then you go back and you look at how, how all of the Old Testament is written to a group of people about a people mm. I and mean, even about these individuals this one individual's name becomes Israel which becomes then comes the name of the people mm. and so the word Israel becomes even the word becomes this blur between individual and connective tissue of a, of, of a people mm-hmm. and then every time we read in the in, in and Jesus is never alone he's always hanging out with the crew and then and then all of the letters to the churches are written to y'all all of you people in the plural and we all read them as singular you'd better do this and so that translates even to our racial dynamics. Yes. Because if I was raised thinking that um, black people and white people are all equal, and that is what I am taught, uh, taught explicitly, and I believe that, therefore when someone says that I might be engaging in something that is inappropriate or, or that something that I'm doing might in some way prop up white supremacy or a racist system, I'm offended by
2: that. Yeah.
1: And have been historically, which is one of the reasons why the work we've been doing over the last few months has absolutely been transformative for me Mm -hmm. i mean i am not i am not leading this church so to speak uh from a place of 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 like oh i've got all this figured out so i'm gonna carry you all along it's more like oh oh we've got a we me i we have a lot to learn here and can we do the learning together because i just can't imagine a better place to do this work than with people i share my faith community yeah. with.
0: yeah so that leads me into the next questions because i'll be reaching out to those members of the becoming beloved community steering committee to join me on this podcast and we're going to ask them actually just two questions so i'm going to ask both of you those questions what have you learned and the why why are you part of this um what drew you to this um so yeah
1: Megan and I just looked at each other like, <laughs> yeah, right. who wants to go first?
2: Well, so as I've been thinking about this in the last seven minutes, um, uh, a <laughs> story, a story um, came immediately to my mind. So something I've learned is that um, this is a, as we keep repeating, a journey, not a program. This is going to be a long process of unlearning in particular. And I think we want to jump immediately to action. Um, And we can find actions along the way. But part of becoming a true anti-racist advocate is doing that process of unlearning, both through our own reflection and sort of self-study and also being in relationship with people of color um, so that we can join the work that's already begun. Um, So in in the spirit of uh, being transparent about the unlearning process, A few weeks ago, uh, so I am um, the social chair of my neighborhood association. So I organize events for my neighborhood. So we have about six or seven events per year. I've been doing this for four or five years now. And um, I had a comment shared with me from a neighbor saying, you know, I spoke with this new family that's in the neighborhood and they're a biracial couple. uh, And they shared that they feel like the events are not very inclusive of people of color. And my immediate response was: a) there aren't very many people of color in this neighborhood, so I don't know what the big deal is. Yeah. B) of course we're inclusive, everyone's welcome, everyone's yeah. invited. Yeah. And my initial reaction was to feel defensive mm-hmm. about being called out. Um, and then I I had to pause, and it took the pause was like a week. it right. wasn't like in that conversation. It, it wasn't like you took a, a while. breath, right? No. Um, to really consider and you know as you both know the work that I do uh, nine to five is an interreligious dialogue and organizing and the first thing that I teach everyone that I um, am in front of when I'm doing a training is you have to have representation on your planning team if you want to have a successful interfaith event you can't just have a bunch of Christians plan an interfaith event and then be sad when the Muslims don't show up right? right and be angry and oh they don't want dialogue and they don't really care about this no, you have to start from where you want to end. So our planning team for my neighborhood association is all white people, right? And we plan events for what? Ourselves.
1: Things that we'd like to see happen, yes. right? Yes.
2: Yeah. And and it's not as if a person of color has dramatically different needs from the neighborhood, but you can't plan and expect to then bring in different perspectives and voices if you aren't inviting mm-hmm. that voice to the table at the outset. So it was, a, it was a really concrete learning moment for me of thinking, okay, um, There's more work I need to do to think about how even in my own life, I'm being more aware of racial dynamics in general, the history and legacy um, of slavery as it continues to um, bear out inequities in our society. um, And then begin to think about what are the, the changes that I can make in my own life and know that this will not be the first time I'm gonna get defensive, right? Like or this
1: the last. Is, yeah. Yeah, it'll happen again. That's what I mean. This yeah, is not yes. the last
2: time. But yes, but yes. And it I, wasn't the first time, and it oh, won't be the yeah. last time. So this is going to be a continual learning process and unlearning process. Um, and, and maybe I'll say one more thing. Um, earlier, the three of us were all expressing gratitude for how um, people are responding so constructively and, and with authenticity and vulnerability. If in a month that ceases to happen and half the people are like not happy with where we're going and are uncomfortable and decide not to show up or they leave, that doesn't mean we failed. Right. So it means that like we're doing this work. So I I think I want to acknowledge how gracious people have been. And I also want us to know that that's likely not going to continue. And we're going to continue to reach out and pull people back in and do our best to make this something that, um, is open and affirming, and you know, inclusive, and in all the things for the people at Redeemer, and know that each of us is going to have to go through that unlearning process, and it's going to look differently, perhaps, um, based on where we're starting from, um, and that that discomfort, as we've been saying, is just a natural part of this conversation, and it can't be avoided.
0: Yeah, I mean, looking at um, the natural progression of like bringing groups together, you know, start starting together. And, you know, learning about, like, norms and that. And then you go through the grown zone. Mm. I don't think we're there yet. Right. Like, we...
1: Yeah, I'm just going to blindly pretend that we're never going to go through that. (laughs) that (laughs) No one's ever going to get their feelings heard. And then everyone's going to just wake up together and be like, we're (laughs) on this. (laughs) Right, right. That's the way I'd prefer to move forward, if that's okay with (laughs) everyone. (laughs) Um, La, la, la. (laughs) is it? Do I tell? I think it's your turn. Oh Phil. gosh. Yeah. Okay. So in terms, so the, the main idea is you're kind of wondering why we're do- like for me why I want to well, do this. Well,
0: yeah, your question is actually probably um, a, a broader question than asking Megan and or those that are on the steering committee, but your perspective is needed. So, on on the why why
1: of becoming beloved community and why, okay, so
0: and what you've learned so far.
1: Okay. Two years ago, right after, shortly after we moved here, we were. Uh, my daughter had her sixth birthday party, and uh, we couldn't find the email addresses for the different people at the in our in her class. So my, because uh, we're tremendously disorganized humans, and and we have three children and don't know how to uh, think straight. Um, but uh, so so my wife asked the kindergarten teacher, um, would it be all right if we. Um, dropped off invitations to the kids, like, at the class. And she said, sure, but if you're going to do that, you have to invite everyone in the class because there's no way we're putting little envelopes for some And and she said, don't worry. The whole class never comes to anything. That's ridiculous. Like, there's 22 of them. You're not going to have 22 kids. So cut to a couple weeks later when we had 22 kids. I think there was one kid that didn't show up. But the whole thing, all of the kids showed up. And we had this party at some, you know, bounce house type of place in Blue Ash, one of those, you know, just germ factories that yes. we all uh, experience and um, and and of course they bounced around and then it came time for the cake. So they got all the kids around the table and to get and to have the cake. And I looked, I was on one end of the table and I looked down and I saw my daughter and her new friends in this new place, which was just the people that were in her class. It wasn't like she'd she'd said like, and these are these friends and these are these friends, but just these are my people. And, she, and I looked down that table and there were, there, were, there were literally children of, of so many different kinds of, of race um, and, and background present. There were, there were African-American kids. There were several biracial kids of different kinds of races. There was um, a Middle Eastern young girl. There was an Asian girl. There were white kids. And they were all around the table. And it, and it, and it first of all, I mean, just, it was beautiful. Just, let's say that. I mean, it was beautiful that was not at all my upbringing and i was so excited to see it and then i was immediately followed by this sort of crashing recognition that that's not what our church looks like and my daughter's not going to go to a church that looks like ours looks like when she's an adult because we're raising her to live in a culture where the where this where where racial integration and cultural integration is a norm it's still intentional it's still taking work it's not like they're going to be the perfect generation we all know that's a bunch of nonsense but but the idea that we would grow up and share life together and class together and li- and with, with people of different races, for her, is a, is a, she, she, it's a given. And I thought, oh wow, I've, I've been brought here to, to, to help in the leadership of this church. And, and this is smacking me in the face that if 30 years from now or 20 years from now we are racially and culturally homogenous, we will be dead, the spirit will leave, because our children won't want this part of their lives segregated when nothing else is. Now, I don't like process, you know? <laughs> I don't want to, you know, you right. said let's skip right to the action. I was like, I completely I disagree with that. I don't want to skip to the action. I want to skip right to the reconciliation. Mm. I, I am excited. I'm not all that excited. It's, uh, it's hard. But no, I, I, I am impassioned and convicted about us doing this work. Because what I realized was we can't get from here to there without doing real and honest, inventory, prayerful work, faithful leader, like following Jesus into a reconciled reality. That we can't just hope for a racially and culturally integrated church community. We have to build it. And building it will, we have to, and we have to start with what we are and what we have. Mm-hmm. To me, the power of what the Becoming Beloved Community initiative can be is it has the capacity to help us start with, a, with a healthy self examination and begin the practice of listening to others. The thing that I always think about when it comes to seeing someone else of a different color's hair and wanting to touch it. Um, and I've 100% been the person who's wanted to do that. I can't remember if I've done it, but I've certainly wanted to. Is not just the ownership aspect; it's the it's the exoticism. Mm-hmm. And, and on the we we don't if we're not thinking of it as a negative. The positive side is sort of a fetishistic exoticism yes. of the other. Oh, look at that! And what I'm much and, and and we all are capable of that. And it and hey, thinking something is beautiful and exotic is certainly better than thinking it's. Um, disgusting and and demonic but it's still not a full embracing of the humanity Mm
0: -hmm. it's still another
1: it's still other yeah and everything i cannot read the new testament anymore without recognizing the primacy of christ's work breaking down the walls that separate us tearing apart uh, those things, obliterating those things that 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 create a culture in a world where we think about the other and and how it's dangerous to me. So that's the so to from my end, I'm doing this work. I mean to sound like a cliche you know cliche dad, I'm doing it for my kids
0: right.
1: But I'm doing it because I really believe this is our, this is ours. Like it's time. I believe the Holy Spirit has said, Um, is saying all across the board to so many people of different religions and and races and, and all across this country but is also saying in particular to church of the redeemer right now this is your work to do it's yours now the great thing about god is god will say this is your work and then god will also say and i will be with you so i want us to remember that we're not doing this work so that we can be godly or so that God will be pleased. We are doing this work so that we can be who we are meant to be, and God will never abandon us in that reality. What am I learning? One of the things, as I've already said, is the beauty and the faithfulness of the people that we, that we share this work with. That is one of the things. Another thing on a very selfish level is man, I am just learning. Um, I'm learning how to understand my own racism in a way that is, that is neither in denial nor soaked and drenched in shame and self loathing. Mm. I am learning to, to seek repentance in a way that is upbuilding. To myself and to all those uh, whom I encounter, um, that sounds really grand, but it does—it is something that is happening consciously every day. Um, so I'm—I'm I'm scared of the work, and I believe in the work. On the first Sunday, Megan asked the question to people: "You know, what are your hopes for doing this work, and what are your?" fears for doing this work and then she told them they had to like ask a partner and then like a good leader she went over by in the, in the corner and didn't have to ask that question of herself <laughs> so I walked over to her and said you know what are you scared of and or what are you hopeful of and what are you scared of and she was hopeful for a transformation of the heart and a, 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 a true reconciled uh, uh, community which is what I mean you and I share that hope I, I mean it's where you and I are so this is something I'm really excited to be on this journey with you as a partner in this. I, I just I, think, I hope everybody knows that, but it's true. But then our fear was also the same, which is I hope it. Well, what if it doesn't work? That's the the fear is really what if it doesn't work. If it does work, it will also be scary. But scary and so beautiful, and that's what I'm excited about.
2: Can I share one like nerdy data point, and you can decide? Yeah, yeah, completely. You know,
0: I think that's yeah, that would be great. So
2: uh, Robert Putnam is a sociologist at Harvard, and he has done a lot of work on diversity in America. And he uh, has one set of his research is in the book American Grace that he co-authored with David Campbell, where they look at religious diversity and identity across population centers in the US. Um, he also wrote Bowling Alone and um, uh, E Pluribus Unum, which are all great references to what does it look like for people from different backgrounds to live together in this country. And in some of his recent research, he found that in population centers that had more diversity, people living in close proximity to one another from different backgrounds, the levels of trust were lower, that there was an inverse correlation between diversity and trust. And the interesting note is that trust was not just for people who are different from me, but it was for people who are the same as me as well. In general, trust is lower when you have more diversity. So we often start our trainings with asking, who here thinks diversity is a good thing? And everyone raises their hand. And then you say, actually, diversity is a fact. It's neutral. It's just the fact of people Mm. of different backgrounds living in proximity with one another. Mm. It's what we do Mm -hmm. about that diversity that matters. How do we engage it? So then in other research, they found that having relationships with people from different backgrounds that were built on a shared interest. So they play out this whole scenario of, This one person is a beekeeper and he finds his beekeeper buddy at a conference and they get to know one another and they chat on the phone about their beekeeping best practices and whatnot and meet each other up at conferences and things. Then, down the road, white male Christian finds out that his buddy Al is a Mormon. All of a sudden, his attitudes towards Mormonism are statistically, have now grown, are much higher after having that one Mormon friend and his attitudes towards every other minority religious tradition have also grown. Hmm. So it's having that one relationship with someone who's different from you can change how you think about the whole community. And this is just based on his statistical research. These are these themes that he's drawn out. So I think it's really important as we think about the diversity around us that we don't just stop there and say wow isn't this great we live in this society where people come from these different backgrounds but to know that you have to engage it you have to get to know people you have to understand what makes them tick you have to find this common ground and I'm really interested in how we can think about the beloved community journey as both building those relationships that are then going it's like cyclical going to inform the actions we take to be anti-racist white christians that then informs how we pursue and build authentic relationships with people of color and communities that then inform the actions we take etc and how it sort of continues to be this cycle um and one more thought I, i i um we have been explicitly talking to one another as white christians because we are (laughs) Uh, and i hope that changes yeah so i i I think this conversation has taken on a particular tone because there have not been um people of color in our space and so we're talking directly to one another as white christians unlearning unpacking the baggage we bring and as we grow That
1: has to change. That
2: has to change. That's right. Whether it's people, you know, coming into Redeemer or it's us inviting, going where people are doing the work and inviting, you know, our community into where there are interracial partnerships around justice right now, like those spaces exist. We can go there. We don't have to find them, create them. Like they're happening. It's our choice to join them. Um, So anyway, I I think the tenor of our conversation is going to shift as we move from being... Yeah. us talking to ourselves to us being in partnership yes
1: and I'm excited for us to get to that place I, I people have said to us well why don't you know why don't we have um, people of color on the steering committee or why aren't there are not why are there not more people of color you know involved in the conversation and part of it it's hard to, it's hard to you don't want to be rude about it but it's you know it's well we're starting with what we actually have with who we actually are and we don't want to take the the few people of color who are at our church and say, hey, you know, because you're a person of color, we'd like to draft you for this thing. And That's not appropriate either, That that's tokenism. So there is a little bit of like, and we both have heard repeatedly about the need for white people to do their homework and not just expect people of color to teach them everything. And so we were in this phase of sort of like us kind of hunkering down and doing our homework but that is a phase, it's a natural phase, and the next, and develop, the next level of development will be learning how to invite other people in that we can learn from and, and to, to seek that out in a way that's healthy and, and loving.
0: Yeah, in, in some way, looking at it, um, it's telling the truth. It's, we are, people are um, unconsciously taking an inventory, looking at um, the, the parts of becoming beloved community they're taking an in the inventory, seeing the people that are in the conversation currently um, and recognizing that. And it's telling. Yeah. It's completely telling. And
1: it's really important. It's one of the reasons why I tell people at this church how much I love them, how often I say it, is because when we're doing that actual work of inventory, it is scary. We are worried that if we tell the truth about ourselves, and not just people at this church and go anywhere. If we tell the truth about ourselves, we will not be lovable. And they, we all need to hear all the time how loved and cared for we are while we are unpacking the difficult things and while we are being honest about this. So the reality is, yeah, this is scary and this is challenging and you're finding things out about what you believed and you are bothered and defensive and all of this. Oh, really? Oh, by the way, in the midst of all that, I love you. And and it's real. It's not just on principle. Like our love is real, and um, and God's love for us is real, and is born out in the love we share. So so anyways, let's just remember that while we're doing this really hard work, because it's not either or. Going back to your story really briefly, and again, she could edit all this out, but but you talked about um, you know those two people. They find something they have in common, this beekeeping, and then it, and then it creates a space for acceptance. We have go back to that binary sort of way of thinking of like we have been taught sort of to think. No, no, no. Black people and white people aren't different, which was a desire to recognize our commonalities born out of a good desire to recognize our commonalities. But it speaks to this sort of binary way of thinking. Either we are totally different, or no, we are not different at all. And you as someone who works in, in interreligious th- studies and, and um, you know so much how people will try to make the thing work by saying, oh, well, there's no real difference between Hinduism and, and Christianity and, and Islam, and there's nothing more offensive to each one of our religions than to pretend that they're the same. But it comes from a place of trying to figure out how to be unified. So part of it is recognizing the complexity of what relationship really is, that you and I are the same, and you and I are different, and the commonalities build strength. And the differences are scary, but the strength we build in commonality help us to appreciate, and and when we can't even appreciate, at least respect the differences that we have with other people. That shatters that binary thinking. It shatters the us-them. It shatters a lot of that idea of like, either we're totally alike or we're totally different. Mm-hmm. So I love that story mm. because it, it 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 helps us to embrace just pract- on a practical level what real honest relationship looks like. Yep
2: and all that personal interaction is happening in the broader context of people of color and white people being perceived and treated Mm. very differently. So Mm. while we grapple with our own personal, trying to find that common ground while also recognizing difference, Mm. we have to situate that in this broader context that we understand now, and we continue to unlearn and unpack is inequitable.
1: Yes, and part of learning, being willing to learn from others is being open to the possibility that the way we have seen the world work isn't the only way to see the world work and and might only be a fraction of the picture of how the world is working right now. That's And that takes humility. So, yeah. This is so much fun. Can we talk about this for another seven hours? <laughs> and she, she's like, oh, she's like this is going to be three podcasts, but but it's such yeah, like...
0: But we we'll have, have it. The next we have week, it. That's yeah. <laughs> good. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Thank you both. Thanks, Annie.
1: Thanks, Annie. Thanks, Megan.
0: Thanks, Bill. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more conversations around becoming beloved community.